You can be seated this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be there in just a moment. Um, I was reading this week about um, a guy who disproved a scientific theory called spontaneous generation. How are you familiar with spontaneous generation? Yeah, me neither till this week. A couple of, I saw a couple of people. Spontaneous generation was this belief for, for, uh, kind of the scientific understanding of the day back in the, uh, 1800s, um, a little before then that, um, alive animate things, live animate things could spring from inanimate things. That living organisms could spring from rocks or from other things and that that's what caused diseases, that they weren't passed down from people to people, it just spontaneously happened. It just started. And there was a guy named Louis Pasteur, who we know better because of his last name of the pasteurization, you know, that happens for our milk and other stuff, that proved that that wasn't the case and theorized that what was really going on, that there were organisms we could not see that were causing all of that to happen. And when we got... The ability to see it, we found out that, of course, he was right. There were germs and microbes and viruses that we could not see, and that's what was causing all of this disease. In fact, I don't know if you know it, but every time you breathe in, you breathe in thousands of microbes and germs every breath. And some have speculated that on your body right now are several million microbes. Munching, eating, crawling, reproducing, splitting. We pass, instead of the offering plate, we need to pass the Perel at this moment, right? And the point that, that we see in that is, just because for hundreds or thousands of years, people couldn't see germs and viruses, didn't mean that they didn't exist. Just because they didn't see it didn't make them not true. Today we're going to talk about something that you and I may not always see or feel or recognize, but it's still true and real and happening. We're continuing our series on renewal that we started at the beginning of this year. And actually, we're continuing last week's message when we talked about the cost of renewal, that we have to count the cost of what God wants to do in our lives, that there will be cost attached to it. And we talked specifically last week about our priorities have to get checked. Our understanding of love has to be aware. Sacrifice will happen in our lives. There'll be surrender. This week, we're going to talk about another cost of renewal. And that cost of renewal is spiritual warfare. Now, here's what I want to tell you real quickly. And I mean this. Today's message may be one of the most difficult messages for you to listen to. And I don't mean that because it's going to be hard or piercing. I mean that because you're probably going to feel more distracted than you've felt. It's just my experience. That when we speak on issues of spiritual warfare and bring to light the reality of what is happening around us, that people are more distracted, more distracting things happen in the sanctuary, more distracting things happen in your mind, in the microphone, because the enemy doesn't want us to be aware. We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. So I just want to say on the outset, it may be harder to concentrate in the midst of this. I'm telling you, 
I'm telling you. I don't know that I've ever done a series, a, a message or a series on spiritual warfare when we haven't had technical stuff happen that doesn't happen the other weeks around it that happens in that. Okay? And so apparently I'm going to have to stand real still, which is going to make it even more distracting for you. Or I'm just going to yell, right? Here's the thing. Satan would love for us to just exist. My kids and I, this is going to seem like a weird thing because it's definitely not a series focused on the things of God. It's actually on God's. There's a new series on Disney Plus called Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Some of you have read that book. All sixth graders at T.W. Hunter read that book going in now. And it's a retelling of the ancient stories of the Greek gods. But there's an interesting part of that. This, and they, they have it in the book and they have it in the movie that came out a few years ago. They have it in the series. And so I'm going to spoil something that's been out for 25 years. Sorry. But they're given a quest to go return Zeus's lightning bolts. And they're on this quest to go find it. And in the midst of that, they get lured by Hermes into a casino where they are distracted for what they think is like a couple of hours and turns out to be days. Because of the entertainment and the glitz and the temptation and the things that are around, they find themselves so enthralled with the things of the casino, they forget all about their quest. The enemy of our souls has so hypnotized us with the entertainment and things of this world that we have forgotten about our quest. And he would love for it to stay that way. And so I'm just going to tell you in this moment, as we begin to read God's word, as we speak about the things that are here, it's vital for us to understand that if God, and I believe God, is in the midst of doing things here in this church like we haven't seen in recent years. I believe renewal is happening in individuals' lives and in the church's life. I see good things happening. But as that begins to happen, the enemy is going to try to derail it. And if we're unable to recognize that, we will end up in a casino entertained for another period of time. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, now we don't have time to go into all of Ephesians, but Ephesians is a book of doctrine and application. The first three chapters are doctrine, the last three are application. He's given them all kinds of application, application that deals with family life. He's just finished giving that. Some of the most controversial statements in the New Testament are found in the verses in chapter 5 and 6 that are preceding this. But in chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heaven. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore. With truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the God, word of God. Pray all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery 
of the gospel. By the way, this isn't part, this is for free, but if you want to know what you can pray for your pastor, verse 19, you can pray for me every week. Every moment right before I speak, that when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So we're going to talk today about this concept of spiritual warfare. And the reality that when we begin to see God renew us, we have to be prepared for it to come. This isn't the first time we've talked about it, but it's a message that ought to be repeated every few months because we get so inoculated to it around us. And that is, number one, on our understanding of how to make sure that it doesn't derail our spiritual renewal that happens is that we have to recognize the reality of spiritual warfare. Verse 12 tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers and against the authorities, against cosmic powers of the darkness and evil, spiritual forces in the heaven. Spiritual warfare is a reality. We are in constant war with the enemies of God. It's not just in Ephesians chapter 6 that tells us this. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. You know the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? In Acts chapter 5 verse 1, in a, in a story that happens right as the church is beginning, a, a, a guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. They come and they tell him, hey, we're giving you all our money that we sold this for. And of course they had not given him all the money. He had held back some. And when Peter looks at them, he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the land? Why has the enemy of your soul been allowed access to your life? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let sun go down on your anger. It's interesting because um, we did one of those videos at our wedding. Maybe you've done one of those videos at your wedding or had one of those things where people give you life advice, marriage advice. And we did, like ours was new, we did some video stuff. We were cool in 98, right? I think the camcorder was like this big back then, right? And they go around, they ask, and the biggest one we've got is, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Right? Which is true. Listen, that's true. Impractical in marriage sometimes, but true, right? Y'all acting like you ain't gone to bed mad at each other at some point. Like, oh, I wouldn't say that, Pastor. Of course it's practical. We have confessional and repentance every night before bed. Never go to bed upset with one another. But oftentimes they leave out that last part, which is because if you do, you're given a foothold to the devil. Luke eleven fourteen, just one of the many times it says that Jesus was casting out a demon that made a man mute. When demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. There's the story in the Old Testament of Elisha who's getting ready to fight a battle. And he's like, we don't have enough. We don't have enough people. God, what are you going to do? And God says, open your eyes. And there is a army of spiritual forces ready to fight for him. Just because we don't see it, experience it, doesn't make it fake. It's real. And here's the truth. Many of us in this room are losing parts of the battle on a daily basis just because we're completely unaware that that's what the cause is. Why, why am I defeated all the time, Lord? Why, why, why can't I seem to have my, air, my prayers answered, Lord? Why, why can't I seem to get things together in my life, Lord? Why can't my, my child just return, Lord? What, what's going on? And we don't realize that there are spiritual 
forces at play. <clears throat> We've talked about this before, but you may not remember. There, there's a guy who was a mission uh, writer that talked about the problem that Western missionaries have going into different cultures. And he said the, the biggest issue that Western missionaries often have going into other cultures is they are completely unprepared for the spiritual realities that are happening in other cultures. And he says that's because in our Western mindset, we have excluded the part of our thinking that allows the spiritual and the physical to interact with each other. He actually called it the excluded middle. And there's a picture here of what he says, that we have this thing called religion. That's the stuff up there, faith and miracles and otherworldly problems and the sacred spaces of our life, the sacred things of what is there, that we have all of that going on up, up here. And then we've got the real world stuff. And this is sight and experience and science and what we're experiencing and our worldly problems, our relationship problems. Those are things that are there. The secular, we've got the sacred and the secular. And he said, the problem is, in Western culture, we have this middle where they don't interact with each other. I think of it, I think I've shared this with you before in the past, I think of it as the Scooby-Doo problem. How many of you know Scooby-Doo? Right? 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 He's there? Right? Scooby-Doo was one of those cartoons. When I, 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 how many of you remember Saturday morning cartoons? Like, right, like getting up in the morning, cereal, sitting in front of the TV. I mean, I remember waiting to hear what the new shows were coming because we didn't have the Internet to tell us that. They'd do a special program. And Scooby was on there sometimes. But when I was growing up, it wasn't just Saturday morning cartoons. It was after school cartoons. We didn't have Nickelodeon and all that stuff. Now, my favorites were G.I. Joe and Transformers. And all God's people said, amen. I got, I got three of you there. All right. But Scooby was on a lot, too. And here's what was always happening with Scooby-Doo, right? The Scooby-Doo, the plot of every Scooby-Doo show you've ever watched is the same, right? There's a mystery that nobody knows what's going, and it's some sort of supernatural mystery. It's a ghost. It's a phantom. It's a swamp thing. It's something that's terrorizing the local community, and the kids have to come find it. And they go and they search and they're scared for most of the episode. And then at the end of the episode, they find out it's the old bank president in a, in a mask. Right? It's the Wizard of Oz effect. The man behind the curtain. And they pull the mask off and they're like, ah, it wasn't supernatural. There's a logical explanation for everything. Our Western mindset is there's a logical explanation for everything. It's not supernatural. Spirit's not moving. God's not working. What are you talking about? There's, we can explain it. We can pull the mask off. And Frank Herbert said that when you go to other cultures that are aware of and allowing the Spirit to move in ways, our Western missionaries aren't prepared for what's happening. I've experienced this in Brazil. And Brazil is more Western than a lot of places on earth. There are times when I have preached in Brazil and we haven't preached. I haven't preached. Now, my father-in-law, Wade Akins, who's our missionary there, have done crusades in front of thousands. I've preached in front of a few hundred, a couple of thousand at a time. 
And I gave the most simple message you could give, and I explain it, and I say, and I do, I mean, we, we got people praying for us. The Brazilian church is praying for us. Lord, you move. I give the simplest message you could probably imagine and say, if you want to receive the Lord, come, and people just flock, almost to the point that you're like, wait a minute, God, is this, is this okay? Like, like, I remember the first year we took people from this church, like I had people come up to me and say, now, 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 are they really being saved or are we just getting seeds planted here? And I said, what did they say? They said they were saved. I said, then trust what they say. We want to scooby-doo it instead of just trusting what the Lord is doing. And until we're aware that there's a spiritual war going on, we are ineffective in fighting it. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist, one who is focused on the physical only, and a magician, one that's focused completely on the spiritual, with the same delight. First step in making sure that we don't allow spiritual warfare to derail what God is doing in our midst is to recognize the reality of it. Secondly, we need to know our enemy and his schemes. It makes it very clear there in Ephesians chapter 6 that we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens, led by the enemy of our souls who goes by Satan, the adversary. It's important to realize that when you're in conflict with someone on earth, that that conflict has a spiritual dynamic that is greater than the physical one. One of my mentors in PhD work is a guy named Chuck Lawless, and we're going to read a quote from him in a moment about what Satan tries to do in our lives. But I heard him speak in class one day. We, were, we did a, um, one of my seminars was on spiritual warfare and evangelism, which are not two things you generally put together but are vital in understanding one another. And he talked about his dad. He told me about his dad or told our class about his dad and how his dad had grown up and um, had been at least emotionally abusive, had been standoffish, that the relationship was broken, some things had happened in his life. And he, he went into detail that I won't go into detail because it's his story. But just, just to let you know, his dad was not a great dad, was not a good dad, was harsh with him. And he said he grew up almost all of his life just completely mad at his dad, completely upset with him, and even upset with his mom for allowing his dad to be the way he was. And he said when he was in college, he sat down one day and he picked up Ephesians chapter 6, and he read verse 12, and he said, for the first time in my life, for whatever reason, God said to me in that moment, your problem is not with your dad, it's with your enemy. And he said, I started to see my dad, not as the enemy of my soul, but as one who was in that moment being controlled by or used by the enemy of my soul. And I began to pray for his salvation. I had that seminar with Dr. Lawless in the mid-2000s. And at that moment, his dad was an unbeliever. One of the most excited I've ever been is I was on Twitter one day, years ago now, four, five, six years ago, and he put out a thing that said, for those of you that have prayed through the years, my dad accepted Jesus last night. And I got to be the one to tell him about him. 
We need to recognize who the true enemy of our soul is and attack it in that way. So what are his schemes? Well, we don't have time to go into depth on all of this, but let me just tell you how he attacks. He attacks with error. He tries to get us to disbelieve the word of God. That's why when it talks about the spiritual warfare items, that we have to have the belt of truth, an understanding of the word of God that he talks about at the end of those uh, spiritual warfare elements. That what we have to understand is that he is always one that tries to get us to not believe in the word of God, not believe in what God says, not believe in what has been told to us. And that when he can get us to doubt or have error in our mind about what we're thinking, it will lead us down a path that takes us away from the Lord and as a result makes us ineffective in the fight. Right along with error is doubt. And this is a little different. This is not just that we we have an error about what God has told us and about the Word of God. This is doubt about how God feels about us or what God wants for us or how God has treated us. When you think about the first temptation, what happens is that she gets her, first of all, did God really say that? Is that really what God said, what He meant? Surely that's not what He meant. Surely there's some error in that understanding. Secondly, and is that what He really wants for you? Do you really believe that's what he wants for you? Surely that's not what he wants. He wants you to enjoy all of this. And so Eve moves from, did God really say this? To, well, you know he doesn't have your best in mind. Which leads to temptation, which is the next one, that he leads us down a path and says, now, then this is the alternate choice. This is the alternative here. And you can move away from what the Lord desired and what is there and pulls us away from what is actually God's best for us. And temptation begins to move us in that direction. And when we fall into temptation and sin, he moves to the next part of his tactic, which is he condemns us. Now, look what you did. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, and please don't raise your hand, but I just want you to think about this. How many of you have given in to a familiar sin or a first-time sin in your life and immediately felt condemnation for it? Not like felt good for a little bit. I'm talking about you acted on that sin, you acted on that choice, you did what you knew was not in God's interest for you, and immediately you were like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. I'm horrible. Now I'll tell you, God does confront us in our sin, but here's the difference between what God does and what the enemy does. God will confront us in our sin and tell us how bad the sin is. The enemy will confront us in our sin and tell us how bad we are. And there's a big difference between I've done something bad and I am bad. Now, all of us, right, are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are worthy of God's love, and yet he gives it anyway. And when he does, and when we are saved, when we are in a relationship with him, we cannot do anything at all to make him love us less. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, what it says. And once we have this error in our thinking about what God said, what he asked us to do, once we begin to doubt the goodness of God and what he's asking us to do, once we give in to that temptation and sin and feel the condemnation, then Satan attacks with discouragement. Yeah, you'll never get it right. It's never going to happen. And the point of all of that is that the enemy wants us to be in a place where we're ineffective and standing firm for the glory and the truth of what God has called us to do. Chuck Lawless quote about the enemy says, the enemy wants us to mess up, give up, get puffed up, or shut up. That's what he wants. It's for us to mess up, and then in the midst of that just give up, or get puffed up, or shut up. 
we're not going to know for years and maybe not till eternity the eternal impact that the pandemic and the response to the pandemic had on the spiritual lives of the people that live in and around us. I can tell you this, the number of people that do what I do, that feel called to do what I do, is dwindling rapidly. The number of pastors that have walked away because of conflicts and messes and discouragement in churches is astounding. Something we've never seen in the history of our country. And the truth is that what the enemy wants to do is he wants to do that within our church, even as we're starting to experience renewal. He wants to do things in our church to prevent us from that. Lawless expanded on this a little bit more, and I just want to read you some of this. That He wants us to mess up in our sin. That sin is what causes us to lose credibility in our witness. It's what gives us hindrance in our prayers. It's where our joy wanes. It's where relationships suffer. The world looks at us and sees no difference, and the enemy temporarily wins. And once we sin, he wants us, once we mess up, he wants us to cover it up. Adam and Eve hid. They tried to get away from the Lord. Likewise, the enemy wants us and the local church to ignore the sin among us, to ignore what's happening. Just cover it up. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. He wants us to get hung up on difficulties and as a result be discouraged. You've served the God, you've served God faithfully for all these years. What good has that done you? Or even turning that into a thing. Well, look at all you've done for the church. And what has the church ever done for you? He delights, the enemy does, when we cower in a cave like Elijah, saying, nobody is with me. He wants us to be puffed up in pride and cause us to, to bow up over our position or our power. That many of the conflicts that happen in churches are people bowing up about what they have or what their domain is or what they feel their position is. Garden our turf, protecting our position. He wants us to build up our own kingdoms. He doesn't mind if we talk about the kingdom of God when what we're really talking about is our pet part of the kingdom of God. Let other people know how much you're doing, how much your group's doing, how much is going on with your group, and how important that is to the overall kingdom of God, instead of what does the kingdom require from all of us for all times. And he wants us to break up, to tear us apart. He wants us to give up on prayer. He wants us to get puffed up with our own ego and our attempts to pull ourselves out of it instead of just trusting him. Let's go back to the first of these that I had up there. In churches experience renewal, Satan wants to draw believers into sin. Genesis 3 tells us that. The second one. In churches experiencing renewal, Satan wants to foster discouragement and defeat among believers. I do believe God is in the midst of doing some some awesome things and has the potential to do unbelievable things that we could not ask or imagine and wouldn't believe if we were told in this church. I fully believe that. And what I know, but I don't think about is that when God begins to work in that way, I'm going to get discouraging news from people in the church almost immediately. Almost immediately, I'm going to hear things that are going to attack that. I like to tell you that in the last couple of weeks, I hadn't heard anything like that. It's not true. And God's going to do the same thing to you. And it's going to be a temptation for you to go, well, we thought things were different. Well, they're not. Nothing's different. Nothing's all the same. Just same old, same old. Never going to be any different. What leads to oftentimes is the last one here, that in churches experience renewal, Satan wants to promote unforgiving spirits among believers, creating disunity in the church. 
There are some of you in this room right now that have something against somebody else in this room right now, and you haven't forgiven them, you haven't let it go, and it is eating at your soul. There's some of you in this room that have something against me. I may or may not know about it. And it's preventing you from being able to do what God's called you to do here. It may be preventing me from it. I know there are people that aren't in this room right now that that's the case. When that happens, the enemy's winning. If you utter the words, I couldn't forgive them, that's the enemy talking, not the Lord. And what he wants more than anything is disagreement and disunity and discussion in groups instead of what are we supposed to do for the Lord. So what do we do? It's simple. It's two words in our language. It's one in the original. And it's simply just stand firm. You can go back and read Ephesians chapter 6. And there are multiple times when he just says, let the Lord strengthen you. Let the Lord be the one and then stand firm. By the way, all those ways that the enemy tried to attack us, right? All those ways that the enemy uses his schemes has an answer in the warfare attire that is described in the spiritual warfare armor. The error that Satan tries to bring, he tells us to put the belt of truth on. The doubt that Satan tries to bring, he tells us to have our shield of faith that protects us against the flaming arts of the enemy. The temptation that is there, it says the breastplate of righteous. We have been made righteous with God and we are living out righteous. The condemnation that comes, it says we're the helmet of salvation where we are protected against that. The discouragement that comes is a discouragement to not do what God's called us to do. And it says blessed are those that your feet are shod with the gospel of good news. Peace and going. And so we spend time in the Word. We say we're not letting the enemy get in our midst. And we move forward together, standing firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that that means. And we're going to talk in the weeks ahead more about what it means to be renewed and what that may require of us. But if we go into that without a knowledge that it will cost There will be sacrifices and that spiritual warfare will be a reality Then we are going in naive and we won't last very long. And I want the Lord to do something that we can't explain. I want the Lord to do something that shocks us all. And in order for that to happen, we've got to be willing to fight on our knees and in our walk. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For the truth that even though we can read about and hear about the scary things that the enemy is attempting to do, Lord, that you are stronger. You are better. You are mightier. You are smarter. And Lord, as a result, you are on our side. If you are for us, nothing can stand against us. And Lord, we pray in this moment we would be just strengthened by your strength for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.